Welcome back to our study in the book of Ephesians. Now, in this video, we're going to be taking a look at Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be seeing um, just kind of the ways in which this, this unity that Paul has been speaking about reveals itself in this chapter. Now, the unity that I'm referring to goes back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul is actually telling us something about what God wanted to do. Uh, and what he most certainly intends on doing and is in the process of doing. And that is um, Ephesians 1.10, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Well, we're going to see uh, kind of continued on and what that unity looks like uh, among us as the church and really what it should look like uh, as opposed to what it should not look like. We'll see a little bit of both of those things in this chapter. So Ephesians chapter 4. We start off in verses 1 through 6 of this great chapter with, uh, this is probably one of the most well-known passages of unity in the book of Ephesians, and rightfully so. Uh, I guess I've called it several different times that these are the seven ones of Ephesians 4. That uh, might be a little bit confusing, but if you notice, you'll, you'll see that there are seven different one-somethings that are mentioned in this chapter. So Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Making, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, I think that's very uh, a very fitting first few chapters, uh, first few verses of this chapter, rather. And it all talks about this unity. And I want us to, to think about, does this describe us? I mean, look at verse 3, because this is really something that, that I think we, we desperately need to, to be considered of. I mean, he says to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Can you say that that's how you live your life in Christ? Is that how we are among the church? Like with our fellow Christians, do we actually make every effort to keep this unity of the Spirit? Now, of course, we, we notice that, uh, you know, there are some times in which unity can't be the option. Like, you know, for example, even with Jesus himself, yes, he wanted his 12 apostles to be unified. And for the most part, they were. But keep in mind that even one of the 12 betrayed him. So, you know, at some times, unity is not possible. It was not possible uh, during Jesus' day with his own 12. Yet, we still have this, this challenge for us, this task that we've been given, and that is to make every effort to keep this unity. Well, what would it look like if we would actually keep this unity uh, of the Spirit through the bond of peace, as verse 3 says? Well, that's where verses 4 through 6 come in. That's where we find out about all of these one things. We find out that there is mentioned here that there is this one body, and of course that one body is referenced several times in this chapter about being the church. And we're going to be uh, getting in, into that uh, a little bit this chapter, but most certainly um, in the uh, upcoming ones as well. But yes, this one body is this one church in which we are all uh, unified under. Uh, we also see that not only is there one body, but also there's one spirit. Uh, interestingly enough, three of these one things that unify us uh, we see that there's one spirit in verse 4. We see in verse 5, there's one Lord. And then in verse 6, there's one God. So you kind of have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit 
Um, each one of those is, is one of these three things that unifies us. So almost half of them that specifically kind of are given here in this list um, directly deal with God and our our doctrines, our beliefs about God. Those help unify us. So yes, we see one body, okay, that has to do with the church, one spirit that has to do with part of the, the Godhead, as we would call it. Then we also see that we've been called to one hope, the hope that we have in Christ, and it's it's wonderful. And we see that, uh, we have seen that several times in this chapter, and we will continue to see it throughout this book as well. We also see one Lord, as I've already mentioned. We have this one faith. It's interesting to me that, and it's also kind of sad at the same time, that so many times in the Bible, when you read it, uh, if you were to read it in Greek, you find out that it is talking about the faith. Not necessarily here, it's talking about one faith, but you know, many times it talks about the faith that we have. You know, sometimes we get this idea that, well, you know, okay, you can have your faith, I can have my faith, and you know, we're all okay. But no, one faith is not is not really the same as the other. We are called to have this one faith. We are called to have the faith. Um, now, of course, there is a, a bit of variety within that, and we'll get to that in the next little uh, slide. Um, but variety among that faith, it doesn't mean that, that we teach different things. Uh, we still are called to be unified in the sense of this one true faith that we have uh, that can unify us. We see here in verse 5 that there is this one baptism. You know, it, it doesn't matter hardly you know, who you are in, in reading the New Testament, uh, you're going to come up with many passages that speak about baptism. And this baptism is, is how we enter into this body. It's how we enter into this faith and how we, we come to, to publicly proclaim that we are going to be a follower of Jesus. And through that one baptism that we submit to, we are kind of reenacting, if you will, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus and just like Jesus raised up and, and he was in his resurrected body, whenever we come up out of the waters of baptism, we are new. We are a new creature. Uh, that's something we're going to see in this chapter as well. Now we see in verse 6, though, once again going back to God, that there's one God and Father of all. And then that, that's not enough. Paul continues on. He says, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see how God unifies us? God most certainly can unify us all if we so choose to submit to this one one body, this one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who loves us so very much. Let's continue on in this chapter and we're going to see uh, some of these other things. Now we're going to see that uh, just because there is this one faith and just because there is this one body, uh, that doesn't mean that we're all supposed to be exactly alike. That's what Paul continues on and, and teaching the church at Ephesus about. Verses 7 through 13. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to, the, to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Wow, what a passage. Talking at the very beginning here from verses 7 and a couple verses on 
talking about this ascending and descending language, and we see that uh, you know even though people might uh, somewhat agree upon you know well what is this? Uh, I guess kind of the only part that they really um, talk about is is that uh, descending um, part. Whenever he descended into the lower earthly regions, as verse nine talks about, you know that's either referencing um, kind of like whenever he died, and that's how he descended. And perhaps it's talking about that, or perhaps it's also uh, just talking about, you know, quite literally Jesus coming to earth. Uh, whatever the case, it's gonna, I think, pretty well work out about the same, no matter which view you end up taking on that, because all of it comes down to the fact of he ascended. Okay, he he ascended. He went up. He he is. He is higher. He is above all of these things. Yes, he was descended at some point. He did come down, but whatever that down is, whether it be into the earth or whether it be onto the earth, we still see he rose up. He rose up from the dead. Um, he, he ascended uh, into heaven. Uh, and that's why we see that he ascended you know, higher than all the heavens. In verse 10, I just I love this. And, and the last little part, in order to fill the whole universe. That's that's interesting. I, I'm not hardly even going to touch on on what that would begin to really mean, except for the fact that we know that you know our God is bigger than the universe. You know I don't I, I don't know how much of a sense you even have how big the universe is. I love how whenever we we you read something or or watch something that talks about the universe, it always uses the phrase the known universe because we don't know about the unknown parts of the universe, but yet God knows about those. I, I mean he he's bigger in the entire universe that is around us and he's able to most certainly fill it and he overflows it now we also find out that what he did right here what christ did in verse 11 is that you know he assigned different tasks he he set up some to be apostles some to be prophets some evangelists pastors teachers he did all these things for a reason the purpose is given right here in verse uh, verse 12 we see the reason is to equip his people for works of service. That's the reason why all these different tasks were given. And yes, uh, we're not going to go into the specifics about kind of what each one of those uh, different offices or, or different uh, different roles to play within the church. Um, we're not going to talk about kind of some of the differences in there. Just understand that all of those are slightly different and they're slightly different because the whole purpose behind them is to equip his people for works of service. And even more than that, um, kind of connected to that in verse 12, is uh, the reason why he's equipping um, his people for all these things is so that the body of Christ may be built up. That, that's, that's the goal, so that we can build each other up. So I would say to you, no matter what role you have been given in the church, now, you know, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily an apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. It doesn't mean that you're necessarily any one of those. But what it does mean is that Christ has set you up in the position that you are in and you need to be figuring out, you need to be working toward uh, so that the entire body of Christ may be built up through you so that you can be contributing to this body of Christ. And we also find out um, for, for how long this is going to go because in verse 13 it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Then he adds, if that's not enough of maturity right there, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Are we there yet? I, I don't think so. I don't know when we will necessarily reach that. Or I, I don't know if we're ever supposed to even reach that, uh, you know, on, on this side. But yet, perhaps that's the whole point of this passage. Perhaps this passage is telling us, look, Christ set us up in the church 
in the position that you're in, in the position that I'm in, so that we can, uh, so that we can be equipped to help one another serve, so that we can build up the body of Christ until we all reach this uh, maturity, this mature faith. Um, that doesn't mean we're all there yet. Uh, and it doesn't mean that, uh, you know, I guess perhaps this is going to be a continuous thing because uh, if we are continuing to grow as the church has for the past 2,000 years, then there's always going to be new ones who come into the faith. So I guess they need to have that growth process too. So perhaps if we continue to grow as we should, we might not ever quite reach this destination until, you know, the very end of time as we know it, so to speak. Um, but, you know, whatever the case, we still have a task to that we've been given and we've got a reason kind of a goal everything leading up to what we need to be about this is definitely enough to keep us busy let's make sure that we keep working um paul's going to continue talking about this maturity that we need to be into uh, that's why he continues on in the next few verses with this verses 14 through 16 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming instead speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ from him the whole body joined and and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work once again, he's just kind of using some of the same language that we've looked at. Um, if we haven't gotten it specifically uh, up to this point, we definitely get it very clearly right here that he is talking about this body of Christ. In verse 15, he says that, you know, we're supposed to be this mature body. He's talking about the church. We're supposed to be this mature body um, of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Christ is the head of the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Um, and the whole purpose in all of this and why Christ has given us these different tasks is so we can help build up one another. We're not supposed to be infants any longer. We're not supposed to be just tossed here and, and, and there about every little, maybe, you know, neat little idea that comes up or whatever. No, we're supposed to be people who speak the truth in love, as verse 15 says. That's it's a wonderful concept to think about. And, you know, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Uh, you know, do we always speak the truth in love? Uh, that's how we can help grow. So that we can become this mature body of Christ as we are called to. And we find out, of course, we can't do this apart from Christ. Uh, but we are all called to do our own part in the body of Christ. Uh, I hope that you know made sense right there. Basically, we all need to be busy. We all need to help build each other up, help grow the church. Um, not just in numbers. I'm not saying that. Okay, I don't want you to take that away from it. It's great if that is perhaps your role, I guess you might say. Uh, if your role is to to grow the church in numbers, great, wonderful. We need that. But we also need people who are within the church who help grow the church, you know, individuals, people who are already part of the church who grow them um, spiritually. And I hope that we can all kind of work together. And sometimes, of course, those roles are going to overlap a little bit. But I hope that we can work together to uh, strive for this maturity uh, as what, of course, has been the goal that, that, that Christ has set us up to being this mature body of Christ. Verses 17 through 19. Now we start to see even a little bit more about what, what Christian living should look like, what, what your life in Christ should look like. Paul goes on, he says this, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. 
They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. You know, as we look at this, this section right here, he's talking about these the, the Gentiles. You know, we, we kind of maybe sometimes look at groups of people like that. That's, you know, literally saying just as the nations do, like as, as all these other nations. And he'd be speaking about the nations who haven't been given specific revelation from God, like the word of God. You know, th that's an important thing for us to understand because, you know, to us, you've probably got numerous Bibles just kind of laying around your house. Okay. But during this time, the ones who were given Bibles of, of their day, at least, uh, they would have been the Jewish people uh, because the Gentiles didn't really have as much access to the word of God as the, uh, the uh, Jews did because the Jews were the ones who were given the oracles of God. Well, now we live in a time when we've all been given the oracles of God. But you see, what do people do whenever they aren't following the word of God? Uh, well, it's pretty much like what he just describes it right here. Um, we see that um, one of the things that he, he speaks about there, using in verse 18, this image about hardening of their hearts. That, of course, comes back to uh, Pharaoh, among other people, like what we looked at in our study of the book of Exodus. Um, but, you know, you see that, that, that his heart was hard. And we see that time and time again. Sometimes it even happens with the Lord's people, uh, but it most certainly happened among these other nations as well, that their hearts uh, became hard. And that is not at all how we are supposed to live. And he says in verse 19 that they've lost all sensitivity. And, and I want you to think about uh, where you are at in that. And I hope that we as the church, you know, we as Christians, have not lost all sensitivity to to sin and and holiness and things that are supposed to be sacred in the world um but they've they've just indulged in all this kind of impurity that's what he says and the, and they are full of greed you know sometimes we look at these sins and we think oh well you know one clearly is is bigger than the other well okay take this all into consideration and see what's happening and it's it's a pretty grim image but the image is that that's no longer how you are supposed to live. Not in Christ. We're supposed to live very differently than that. Verses 20 through 24. That, however, the example we just looked at, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your mind, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is what we are called to be. This is life in Christ. This is the way of life, as stated specifically there in verse 20. But we see that this is also something that we, um, he, he appeals to them, and he says, you were taught this way. This is the same way we need to be teaching new Christians, you know, uh, going back to this whole building one another up and becoming mature. This is part of it. Okay. Part of these teachings is continuing these teachings on and teaching people, look, it was, it, that might've been your past life and how you used to live, but now in Christ, it's going to be different. You've got to change that your minds as verse 23 is talking about. You've got to put on this new self. You have been created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness.
we need to do that. That's what it looks like to, to be following this way of life that is the way of Christ. we got to put on this new self. He continues on in verses 25 through 28, describing even more of what this looks like. And I think there's a, a lot that calls us and challenges us today. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So we see some difficult calls. Now, uh, without a doubt, um, you're going to look at this list and you're probably going to see some of these things and think, okay, well, I don't struggle with that. That's like not even an issue with me. That's okay. I'm sure that there's something in this list uh, that is a little bit at least of an issue with you. For example, in verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. See, it's okay to be angry, but we need to be very careful in the type of anger that we have. We also see some kind of practical examples about this. Um, how can, can we live our lives in such a way that we um, can have anger but not sin? Well, we look at Jesus and we see that Jesus got angry at times with people. Uh, most notably, of course, would be like whenever he, he drove people out of the temple. Okay, he turned over the tables. That's probably the one that comes to your mind. There's other times that Jesus got angry, but he didn't sin in those times. Perhaps search those out. Perhaps study those out. Just read any one of the Gospels and you'll find a few examples. Um, we're called right here, uh, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps that's why Jesus um, withdrew and prayed. Maybe there's an example in there that we can learn as well. And verse 27 tells us why we need to do that because we don't need to give the devil a foothold. You know what that foothold is? It's like, you know, if, if, uh, if you just open the door slightly and then he just gets that foot in there. It's really hard to close the door after that point. We don't need to let the devil have that foothold into our lives. We see in verse 28, um, hopefully this isn't uh, something that you do struggle with on, on stealing, but you know, he uses that as an example. He says that anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. But now we have this, this challenge that does apply to, to the rest of us. Whether or not you have a problem with stealing, look at this, but must work. So it's contrasting. We don't need to be people who steal. We need to be people who work. We need to be doing something useful. And we, we need to be considering what that would be like. And what is the reason that he tells us to work? The reason he gives us at the end of verse 28 is that they may have something to share with those in need. Have you ever thought about that whenever you go to work? Maybe you don't always like going to work. Let's face it. Uh, almost all of us have our times that we don't like going to work. What's the reason why we go to work? Well, one of the reasons that Paul gives right here is so that we can have something to share with those in need. Do we consider that? You know, whenever we receive that paycheck, do we ever consider, okay, how am I going to help somebody in need with this that I've got, with this work that I've done? Perhaps we need to be a little bit more considerate about that. Verses 29 through 32, and this uh, is the, uh, the final few verses of this chapter. He's continuing on, talking still more things about what it looks like, this way of life, this way of Christ. Still, these are things that I mentioned before that we need to be, like in verse 22, he says, you were taught these things. These are things we still need to be teaching. Verse 29 through 32, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I want us to think about what verse 29 is saying. Because we might read this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And in this day and age, we might have people, in fact, I just assume that there are several of you listening to this who you instantly start to think about how, well, this unwholesome talk, that's talking about cussing. And what I would challenge you to do is, is to recognize what these words are actually saying. Because, yes, I believe it, it deals some with cussing. But I think this goes so much deeper than just that. It's not just about the, the specific words in which we use, but also how we say it, how we communicate these things. And he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Now, you know, for, for those of you, for those of us, I guess I will say, for those of us who read this passage and we think that this is talking, you know, only about cussing, I want us to see it's talking about more. It's talking about a lot more. And I want us to consider the words that we do use. Can it ever be described as unwholesome? And if you're wondering what what would be wholesome, what would be the right type of speech that, that comes out of our mouth, the right type of talk, well, keep reading. Because he doesn't just say, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. But he continues. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Does that describe your speech? Does that describe my speech? I'm just going to tell you right now, I've, I've never been one that, you know, kind of like using bad language, so to speak, you know, foul language, cussing, cuss words, wh whatever you want to call it. I've never been one that that's, that's been uh, any type of real struggle or anything like that to me. But, you know, when you understand that this passage is talking about so much more than that, that the way that we talk, it needs to be only what is helpful for building others up. You know, I've said some things in, in times past that doesn't always build others up. And I need to be thinking about that. We all need to be thinking about that. Because that's the difference between this wholesome talk and unwholesome talk. Is the language that we use, the words that we use, the thoughts that we are communicating, is it what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen? That's the type of talk we as Christians are called to. I hope that we can, we can help one another out in that. And I hope that we can, we can strive to do better uh, than perhaps what we have in times past so that we will be able to benefit those people who hear us. We see in verse 30, it says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be people who talk about the Holy Spirit, who, who understand the Holy Spirit and, and who... Uh, we, we allow the Holy Spirit to work among uh, our churches today. Uh, we see that uh, he, of course, is the one who sealed us for that day of redemption. Um, but in case you're wondering, well, what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? You actually see this sometimes uh, in, in the Bible. Uh, we see that this, uh, what, what Paul is, seems to be kind of quoting from right here is probably the, the prophet Isaiah. But I believe it goes even more than just that. And uh, one of the ways that we can grieve the Holy Spirit is when we do not bear the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, that's just something I know oftentimes whenever I go to the Holy Spirit and, you know, the topic about the Holy Spirit, that's what I go to. I really focus a lot on the fruit of the Spirit 
because the fruit of the Spirit is going to be what comes from the Spirit. Um, and it, that's given in Galatians uh, chapter 5, and we see that it's, um, you know, there, there's a whole list of things right there. And whenever we are living our lives in such a way that is contrary to that fruit of the Spirit, um, I believe that would be ways in which we could grieve the Holy Spirit whenever we don't bear that fruit that we are supposed to. Um, perhaps whenever we do speak unwholesome talk. We need to be Christians who are building each other up by what we say. We need to be people, as verse 32 says, um, is that we are kind and compassionate to one another, that we forgive each other just as Christ, just as in Christ, God has forgiven you and he's forgiven me. That's what we need to, to be thinking about. The, this is the type of thing that is pleasing to the Holy Spirit. This is the type of way that we can be pleasing to God. If we can be kind, if we can be compassionate, if we can forgive one another, just like God has done all those things for us. That's going to take us a lifetime to live out. I hope that we can help building up one another. I hope that we can each fulfill our role in the body of Christ so that we can build up and all reach, not, not just be infants any longer, but reach maturity. That's our goal. Let's make sure that we keep striving every single day to get closer and closer to reaching that goal.